Welcome to Season 6 of the Do More Good podcast, a selection of interviews with the movers and shakers from the third sector and beyond, telling the stories of people doing more good. I'm James, fundraiser at Blood Cancer UK, Marie Curie and now a Sue Rider. I'm also treasurer of the events fundraising group of the CIOF and Bexley Cross Country Champion 1994. And I'm Kenneth, proud fundraiser from my time working for Alzheimer's Research UK, now the charities lead at London Marathon Events where I get to work with thousands of brilliant and amazing charities, father of three football-obsessed children and co-host of the Do More Good podcast. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. The Do More Good podcast. Uh, welcome to Do More Good podcast. Do More Good Good, do more. Do more good podcast. Do more good podcast. That's what you want me to say. Okay. You're listening to the Do More Good podcast. Here we are, James, back again with the Do More Good podcast. It's episode 80. How are you doing? I am very well, Kenneth. I'm very well. You dropped a statistic on me just a minute ago. It's been 62 days. Since I, I last saw your little smiley pixelated face. <laughs> How are you? I'm all right. I know we were just having a chat beforehand. It has been a long time. We're recording this 5.35, 19th of October. I think the last time we recorded was back in August. Oh, What have you achieved in all that time? Well, as you well know, because I've just told you, absolutely nothing, <laughs> Kenneth. Absolutely. I've had a nice summer. I've had about six holidays. Uh, so that's been good. And I found out at the weekend that my mum has been listening to the show. What? Yeah, yeah. Oh. My mum my mom dropped that one on me at the weekend. She said, oh, I couldn't find it. I was trying to find the podcast and I couldn't find it. So I thought I'd drop in and listen to your one. And I thought, oh, no, what have you listened? And uh, she she listened to the one where we went to the football. So that was wow. ages ago, wasn't it? Yeah, 18 months ago. It was pre-pandemic, wasn't it? It was just, yeah. before, just before we went to the kind of COVID hotspot of the football ground together. Yeah, she listened. To it. She liked it. She liked she it, it was, did she? Yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, she's. I've asked her to leave us a review on iTunes. So did she say that I was really funny? Because I know when I speak to my wife, she always says you're really funny. Uh, did she give me that compliment or she not? She did. She said that the other guy really carries it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, thanks, mum. Your own when your own mother is giving you reviews like that, you know. Yeah. How about you? What have you been up to? What have you achieved? Oh, what have I achieved? You know what? Well, I suppose since we last spoke, I've, I've been at the, the, the London Marathon's taking place, you know, just to go into a bit of a work thing. That was a bloody great achievement. I loved that day. It was it is a great special. Day. It was yes. special. After 20 odd months without anything and, you know, you and I have spoken about all of the, the troubles that we've had and the pandemic and all that stuff. It was just brilliant to be back seeing people and um, yeah. yeah, absolutely loved it. So had well, that a couple of weeks ago. Big breaks of all the rage, right? Because there was a big, big gap between the last one and this one. Yeah, yeah, big, big break. You were spotted, actually. You were spotted on Marathon Day. I yeah, was. by a member of the team. Uh, yeah, you were diligently filling holes in the road, as I understand. So well, the, the, I think it must have been the kind of wheelchair guys coming through just after you, and you were making sure of a smooth surface for them. Yeah, I tend to moonlight as a tarmacker. Um, but yeah, I did. I spotted one of your team. But yeah, since then, I mean, it's it's all go. I just said before we started recording, COVID in my house today, so I'm currently nurse and everything for my wife, and my son. But other than that, look, I'm just really happy to be back. It's great to see your face again, have the chance to sit down with someone from the sector, hear a great story, and just get this do more good train back on the tracks. Yeah, but well, well, this is the um, this is the first guest we've ever had who has had a rider who demanded <laughs> spicy Bombay mix and made sure that they were on hand 
uh, before we started recording. I mean, I think that's uh, that's no pressure, but this is yeah. the first one ever, right? That's I was good. I, it's a good job. It's not scratch and sniff on the Zoom screen, there, isn't it? And that'd be a bit tasty. But anyway, we've got a bit of a theme for the conversation. So we, before we get in and introduce our guest. James, let's rewind back to your early days. Mm. Tell me about a real bad recruitment process or job that you've had. Yeah, I, I'm going to talk about like early 20s. And I'm going to say that the recruitment process was really bad because they ended up employing me as an IT recruitment specialist. And what? it was genuinely like the worst. It was an it was a organisation in Bromley. I'm pretty sure they've been shut down. They, it must have been illegal. It was horrendous. And I was I was so bad. I was so bad. 800 people in a room, kind of eight o'clock on a Thursday, had to pass around the microphone and talk about what you'd achieved throughout the, the week. And, I've, and I, every week for three months, had to stand up and say, I've got no leads. I've found no, I've got nobody in for an interview and I've filled no jobs. Oh. And then pass the microphone. But, but they would always, the guy before me, every single week, and every single week I fell for it, would turn the microphone off. It was one of like a, it was my, probably the first wireless microphone in existence would turn it off. So I would pick it up and go. <laughs> and then the CEO would shout and say, someone's turned them off. Oh, it was just awful. I was so bad. So, oh. so bad. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was, it was a, a grim, a grim three months in my life. Sad times. Yeah. And no Sad loss times. to the recruitment world, I don't think. I'm. <laughs> yeah. How about you? I had a pretty horrendous experience at an interview, actually. I'd gone for this role down in central London. It was a startup company. It sounded really exciting working in an area of media. About to head in for the interview. A little bit nervous, but excited about the potential. Know who I'm going to meet. Think, oh, I'll just do a quick Google search on a few of the people that are on the panel. Little did I know that the founder of the business... Let's just say when you Google his name, the first article that appears is a Daily Mail article of him in a compromising position with his wife in an L.A. nightclub. And so literally was about to go into the interview, had just seen this search and then sat down and been interviewed by this guy. And he was as much of a you know, it, as you'd did expect. It, did um, it come up? Did he ask you, you <laughs> any it, questions? Did it <laughs> come up? It was just really uncomfortable because I just read it and gone in there. But um, let's just say it didn't. It didn't work out, and actually, I was pretty pretty glad of not being taken oh. forward. So, but yeah, just a weird scenario reading that. But anyway, let's crack on. Look, we're rambling away, and our guest is sitting there patiently. So, I guess this week has worked in the charity sector for the past eight years initially working as a corporate fundraiser before moving into fundraising recruitment. Having spent time working as a fundraiser for Naomi's House and Jack's Place and then Great Ormond Street Hospital, they went on to the field of recruitment in the charity sector. And then three years ago, she established the business that carries her name in Ashby Jenkins Recruitment. Founded with a relationship-led approach to recruitment, they have quickly established themselves in the market for fundraising, marketing and fundraising operations roles. She's a proud advocate of equality, diversity and inclusion across the sector and is always keen to help guide charity sector professionals throughout their careers. So we're really pleased to welcome Ashby Jenkins to the Do More Good podcast. Hi Ashby, how are you doing? Hello, I am very well and hoping that one day I get my own spread in the Daily Mail. I'd like the Guardian, I'd go the Guardian spread. If I can get caught in a compromising position in the Guardian, that would probably be better for our sector, right? But one day. 
probably one would. day it's good one to day. have aspirations yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly when you name a business after yourself you're like where do you go from here right yeah. <laughs> yeah. how's the bombay mix working out for you anyway obviously we we curried it over just you know 20 Ooh. minutes before it all started yeah, so I mean, I will just caveat and say that I didn't ask for this Bombay mix to be provided by you. I have provided my own Bombay mix. <laughs> I thought, what's the best snack to silently try and eat whilst you do a podcast? And I thought, get a crunchy Bombay mix. That's definitely going to ruin it. So if it's terrible, I can just blame that. That's really it's, uh, that's, a, that's an excellent point because because often we're asked like, how do I prepare? What do I do for this? But we never provide kind of guidance around snacks because yeah the crunch sound which our listeners will be enjoying over the next 40 minutes is a factor that needs to be you know considered yeah I've also I mean I've also got some grapes here so for Mm. a a bit more of a moist sounding snack life is all about balance right so you want the crunchy then you want the moist yeah well we'll check back in at the end that's got to be our final question as to how that's how that's panned out any disastrous recruitment stories I don't want you to name anyone in particular obviously but maybe of your own so I I think the best one that I remember it's very very old so it's probably fine because I'm sure they've left the sector was just we had some this was in the days of obviously when you could go in for interviews in person and we had someone the manager called me afterwards and was like yeah really liked them was a bit strange when they took their shoes off under the table and then proceeded to rub their feet back and forward on the carpet creating quite a quite a noise just through the last half of the interview so they didn't they didn't get the job it wasn't related to the foot rubbing i think was that james by any chance that sounds like something he would do trying to distract my yeah yeah i I knew this would come up um i was trying to distract myself from the daily mail article that i just read about the person interviewing me yeah Uh, ashby look thank you so much for joining us and then we're we're, again it's it's great to have you here and we really appreciate your, your time and your snacks we'd just like to to go back to the start and understand a bit about what led you to being in the role that you are today and obviously founding your own business. Can you can you talk us about your, your early career and kind of where it all started for you? Yeah, so I guess, you know, obviously being an ethical and morally led person, the charity sector had always, always appealed to me. So I started out in marketing for Capital FM initially down on the South Coast, where I originate from. And then whilst there, we did some work with charities with them, like Help a Capital Child. We did a few events that would raise money for them, mainly kind of like gala dinners, like fashion shows, that kind of thing on a small scale. And so then I decided that I wanted to work for charity. So I worked at my local hospice, Amy House and Jack's Place, which was an amazing experience. I had a, a school friend who passed away there. So it was, uh, there was a personal connection. And then like many people, I got like, I got the calling to like go to London. I was like, I want to move away from my hometown and broaden my horizons. So left and went to work at Great Ormond Street, which was massive you know massive in comparison because Naomi House and Jack's Place is really small I was the only fundraiser doing new business there and then went to like a team of seven and also I always say this because I I recruit for the people that manage manage me while I was at Gosh 
I was probably too emotionally immature to negotiate internal politics of an organization that size. I, I mean, you know, the layers of sign off and the process and things like that, that sometimes the charity sector can be known for kind of came into, into it there in terms of where I'd worked somewhere so small, I could just call up businesses and, you know, go out and meet. It, obviously, when you're working in a larger organization with more established contracts, you can't do that. So I really wanted to stay in the charity sector, but I wanted to work in a slightly different vein, which is where I kind of came across, oh, well, you can recruit for fundraisers. So you keep your hand into the best kind of talent, like which organizations are great to work for, the great managers to work for, but you can do it under a slightly different guise, you know? And then that was obviously when my evil capitalist London living side started coming through. And I was like, right, move into recruitment, become evil. So I went to work for one of the largest agencies in the sector at the time. The aim was always to only be in recruitment for a year, then move back into fundraising, was with them for about four and a half, five years. I just fell in love with recruitment because it's such a people, well, it's a business based on people, right? So like I meet so many different people, I speak to so many different interesting people and I think I really love like human psychology, the way that minds work, although recruitment has a, you know, a bad name. And I guess like you definitely have those salesy moments where you have to say on the microphone that you've done nothing and you've achieved nothing and all of that stuff, as James well knows. It's also like a, you know, I always say to my team, like we help change people's lives, you, you know, obviously not in exactly the same way, not in the same way, the char- like when you work directly for a charity, but we like during the pandemic last year, we like counseled people through knockback after knockback, interview after interview, you know, people share their like dreams for us we know that they want to get this new job to buy a bigger house or to get engaged or to get married you know like that I think the human element is what I found so exciting and what's kept me in in recruitment for this long and then so obviously kind of working in that agency was great then again I decided that you know I just like to challenge like to have a new challenge give myself some stress I just thought why not set up your own business that would be fun and perfectly easy to do and that's when I established Ashby Jenkins recruitment I always make the joke that I called it and named it after myself because I'm a narcissist but very hard to name a business right like everyone has an opinion so you run the names by like five different people and everyone has a different favorite so named after myself and now we worked through the pandemic that was a very challenging time I kept my team around me. We utilised furlough where we needed to, but we kind of kept everyone really engaged. Again, like it's a business built, built, built on people. So looking after my team, we rode through that storm. And then this year, here we are almost in 2022, three years old on the 27th of November. And yeah, I guess that's that kind of gives you a synopsis of where I am today. I don't, you never know whether you're talking too much or too little when you do those things. But I'd say perfect amount. Perfect amount of intro. You touched there on on relationships there. And and you're right that actually you are guiding somebody through a massive change in their life and you get to know them really well. And certainly I remember people I've used for recruitment in the past and consider you open up to them and you tell them about your hopes and dreams and you kind of admit the stuff on your CV that maybe you wouldn't admit in the interview. You know, you really must get to know people and then they get the job and you have to wave them off and wish them the best and that must be a quite nice to help them achieve and then quite sad to see them go well I always say to people once I'm in your life I'm in your life 
forever you have to leave the sector for me to get away from you so <laughs> it's like so I try to stay as involved slightly worried now James actually about this. <laughs> yeah, I I know I mean I don't know your addresses but I can see the insides of your living room so I feel you know now I'm here this is it we're done but no I think you know we try to like check in with people and stay in touch with them as much like the long the aim is to always take someone from like an assistant level role to director you know or kind of see people track their career through that but yeah like people's aspirations there was one guy that I was working with who was like oh I'm really excited about this role because it's a bit of a pay rise I'm going to use it to buy an engagement ring for my girlfriend I was like oh lovely checked in three months later no engagement so I don't I checked in a year later no engagement so he's <laughs> playing with my emotions <laughs> <laughs> and you bought that hat as well didn't you honestly that's what I'm praying for I mean one of my one of my candidates so I introduced them both both of them were like clients of mine I introduced them to be mentors and they've just had a little baby who they didn't nice. name after me oh. which, no. <laughs> so Ashby just going back to you talked about you so you'd worked in fundraising local hospice moved up to the big smoke corporate fundraising at gosh then decided that you couldn't handle the politics and the process and you wanted to try something different. So you went into recruitment at that stage, spent a few years in there with, with one of the biggest recruiters, I think in terms of brand names around recruitment in the sector and then started on your own. Can you talk us through the, what was going through your mind at that time when you actually thought I'm going to jump and I'm going to try and do this on my own. What was the psychology behind that for you? Very good. Um, Yeah, I think, I am a person that always really likes to learn and I think and adapt as well and I think when you work somewhere bigger and this is one thing that I'm really mindful of with with like my team now you lose a lot of the agility that you have when you're when you're smaller so I think what I I learned so much at that larger agency and then it came to a point where I was like, well, actually, I think there's a new way of doing this. And I think one of the biggest frustrations that everyone has with recruiters is databases where you're getting emailed about a job that would have been suitable for you like five years ago. There's no segmentation. And I thought the opportunity for kind of a fresh start and to try and improve like candidate experience to make sure that people felt like people are not like a number. That was the thing that really appealed to me. And just being able to like we call our, our say that we're relationship led I mean it's a fundraising term but that's how I view our relationships like people should know that we genuinely care about them and when I'm recruiting for your team I want to find you the best person because I want your charity to be successful you know and what I want that to happen and it's also I guess it put us in a position where you set on your business that you can choose who you want to work with and who you want to represent and kind of invest in the managers so I, you know and I think a lot of people through the pandemic have also felt a bit of a calling to define more of their own destiny, you know, setting up side hustles or consultancy, things like that. I think you people do lack a little bit of autonomy sometimes. And that was definitely something that's setting up uh, Ashby Jenkins recruitment has given me. Talking about relationships, you've gone from, you know, being one of the gang to then actually you've got a relationship with people that you look after and maybe this past particularly this past 18 months, you've had to look after people. You talked a little bit there about using furlough where you've had to, but managing that relation, those relationships in a, in a business must have been really tough to be kind of leading through that. How have you found it? What have you learned about yourself throughout the, the past year and a half? 
I I mean it's quite like it's crazy to think back on like I was speaking to a client today and we were talking it was they'd like landed back with no job in the UK on the 3rd of March last year and then obviously everything happened and they were like scrabbling around for the world I think with the I was really I'm really lucky that I work with good people I mean obviously like I you know make choices on who I who I hire but we hire a lot on like value being values led so my team a lot of them are ex-fundraisers they're people that genuinely care I think what I learned is you can never have too much communication with your with your staff and you have to be really honest you know I think a lot of managers at the beginning of the pandemic were just pretending everything was fine and you know keep going and it will you know it will all be okay or even now a lot of them are acting like they're not getting burnout or they're not you know feeling it and I think a lot of junior people you know or in their first few roles in their career they're in shared housing you know they've got that stress under them the pressure and I think to hear from your manager that everything's fine and you just got to keep going is not what people need so you know I was really transparent with my team and I guess bringing everyone together in like terms of a vision like what do you want to achieve and that's if we can do that in recruitment you can do that when you're working for a charity right where you know the impact that you have is to help people that don't have housing or to you know help women that are in domestically abused relationships you can do that with your team I think it's setting that that vision and really pulling everyone into why do we come into work what are we doing this for what's the outcome and I think that that kind of messaging and showing vulnerability to my team definitely helped you know there were points where you know for all of us like you didn't know whether your job was safe or whatever whether you're leading a team or whether you're in the team so I think managing it with a level of like optimism but reality or realism is is a really niche little balance to get but communication is key setting that vision and like getting people to work towards something and be part of that conversation as well just interested there I mean it sounds like you really focused on some of them kind of pillars of leadership during the last year, which I'm sure your your team appreciated. But, you know, we like to, I guess, on the podcast, try and explore the psychology behind people's roles, what's led them into their careers, obviously talking about you as a business founder and a leader. How do you ensure that you maintain a good being a good leader? How do you develop yourself? Have you got anything that you can share with us on that side? A lot, of, a lot of gin and wine. That's. <laughs> I think um, I really like to learn from others. So, mm. you know, I really seek out opportunities. So a lot of like directors of fundraising that I work with, I'm always like seeking advice from them. I always seek feedback in terms of like how I can improve, like what our offering is. And I think taking on constructive feedback or criticism is something that's been a learned skill of mine like that you know that's with so many people but I guess kind of seeking that from people that are more senior than me that are more experienced than me and I think really being humble about that Mm. um I guess in terms of when the pandemic first started happening as a like a business we saw like 90% of our pipeline stop so there was naturally like a lot of fear you know when I watched the announcement about the furlough scheme like I literally wept into my glass of red wine at that point because I knew that my team would be safe Mm. you know because up until that as a business owner as a team leader you I don't know you like yeah you have a big responsibility with 
with power comes responsibility right and you have to protect your people and up until that point I wasn't sure that I would be able to so is that answering your question sorry I feel like I might be going a little off piece there no 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 I think it does I think it does in terms of summarizing I guess the answer to the question is you work you you're in a privileged position that you get to work with a lot of great leaders of lots of different size organizations so it would make sense that if you've got a challenge or something that you want to talk about I'm sure you have really good relationships with those people that you can probably explore some of them challenges take tips from them understand them so yeah it does thank you I was just going to go on I mean as I said we want we like to kind of share some insight and some tips and maybe some takeaways that people can think obviously from your unique role in in terms of the, the the charity sector and people's careers I just wondered if you could tell us about the sector at the moment, what you're seeing, what recruitment is like, what people should be kind of maybe looking out for if they're thinking about considering moving on to a new role. Yeah. So I think one thing that cannot be underestimated is the mental health impact on like recruitment activities. And I think one of the things that we're really pushing our clients on is to make an interview and application process as less stressful as possible. You know, if we cast back to this time last year, you would have 200 applicants. You know, that's not an exaggeration, 200, sometimes 80 of them qualified for the job applying for a role. You would have candidates who had been in secure roles who had been made redundant because the their organisation had knee-jerked in my opinion and just said well you can't do community events anymore so you should no longer have a job you know we saw people that were talented searching for months like looking you know back-to-back interviews interviews it's not a lie when I say that weekly on a weekly basis I would have people in tears you know because and I'm I'm their recruiter I'm not their best friend although you know sometimes they meet but because of that was the situation last year people still remember that we all had friends that had ended up in those positions we all had organizations that made loads of their team kind of redundant loads of people have either left the sector or those that are in the sector are now I think scared to like apply for jobs because of the horror stories they heard we also had charities being like oh great we've got 80 applications and they didn't have the processes in place to update the candidates on their applications so you'd have you'd have charities interviewing 12 people at first stage never giving feedback to those candidates that's massive brand damage done to those those organizations And what we've now got is a market where all the charity or a lot of charities are looking to grow their teams again. The events fundraisers have left the sector in swathes or they've managed to scrabble around and get a job that they're now too scared to leave. Or those candidates have had horrible experiences last year where they didn't get any feedback from the organisation. So they're reticent to apply for roles. So I guess in terms of the way that we're working with our clients is to address any of that brand damage that's been done, you know, in terms of expressing to the candidates that it's safe. I think candidates are already, people are worried generally about leaving secure roles because of the risk of what happened. It's still fresh in our minds. So it's just a case of like working with candidates really closely, trying to build their self-esteem. Like we've done additional, we do additional training as a step now to help candidates feel a bit more confident before they go in for interview. I'm asking, like we've added steps to our process in terms of asking about people's experiences at interviews, what they've had, have they had any feedback? 
all of that stuff how have they worked with other recruitment agencies before so that we've got a kind of understanding of where their heads at what their motivations are to leave because I think it's much harder now to get someone to apply for a role than it was previously and I think charities haven't adapted quick enough so they're still expecting people to go through a big application form still expecting people to do a 10-page online portal you know and then a two-stage interview that's not the market you know we're in every other sector well I won't say every other sector but in most other sectors where you're in a candidate short market like recruitment for is, is one of those we see a CV and we interview someone you know there's no I don't need a supporting statement from them I can see what I need from their CV I interview them kind of informally initially so that they don't have loads of pressure and loads of stress behind it and then we'll take them to only the people that we're really certain of to the second stage where we may ask them to do a task I think it's just about charities trying to put themselves in the positions of who's applying for their roles and making it as easily accessible as possible with as little damage to people's mental health that, that seems like well it sounds like common sense to do that and make me not that necessarily everyone applies common sense particularly in the recruitment process I know you know we're no different to that but we do try and do nice things like uh, you know warn candidates about what the kind of themes we might ask about in advance so that they're a bit more prepared are there other things that you're seeing out there that charities are doing well any kind of nice ideas to prep people and yeah protect people's mental health and make sure they're getting the best out of them during that interview process? Yeah, so one of the organisations that I work with quite regularly, Royal Marsden Cancer Charity, they tend to do an informal coffee stage before, and sometimes even before people have written a supporting statement. I did this, right, okay. this this hurts, okay. <laughs> you know, I thought you were going to say something like, don't name them, don't name them. Well, no, no, that's fine, it's no, no, good for them. But I did this, I went to, um, when I was very, when I was very young, and I was, uh, and I got, I got down to the last two, for a role at a PR company. Um, what's the road behind? Oh, Kingley, on Kingley Street. middle. It was very cool. And got down to the last two. And they said, right, what? rather than another interview, we're just going to take you out with the team. One of you is going to come out one night. One of you is going to come out the next night. The psychological damage it does to then not get that job because your chat isn't good enough in the pub <laughs> has stayed with me forever. But look, at, it's driven yeah. you now to be so hilarious. So. Wow. <laughs> oh, Did you go what, out the first a- night or the second night? Because I would want to go the first night. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I think, I don't know. I don't know which <laughs> night I was, but yeah, I think I must have been second night. Yeah. That they've got like tequilas, yeah. flaming yeah. tequilas the first night. I mean, absolutely yeah. a bit. Got them in at three o'clock in the morning and they're like, good luck tomorrow, mate. Yeah. Buying <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. a Bombay mix. Uh, yeah. Bunch of grapes on the way home. You should yeah. have taken snacks. That's what, that's the main thing, you know, generally. <laughs> Just six snacks to a job interview. I think you'll be fine. Little goodie bags at the end yeah. of the night. Yeah, mm, maybe like a pasty yeah. or something for the way home. Sorry, I've completely interrupted your answer. I don't, there I don't know what you thing. put in those goodie bags at the end of a boozy PR night. I mean, I can imagine it's not very PG. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That maybe you were too innocent, James. That's the problem. You've that's got, like, pr- that's probably it. Yeah. <laughs> It's Kenneth's turn to get the drinks in this week, so I'm going to let you know that you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Do More Good Pod. Or if you're a professional business person, you can find us on LinkedIn too. There's a website, domoregood.uk, packed full with episodes, blog posts, details of the team, and a link to the newsletter for your VIP content. Coming back, two pina coladas and a lager for me. Yeah. Anyway. 
coming back, I think, sorry, Ashby, I think you were talking about some of the things that you'd seen in, in, in yes. terms of recruitment and within the sector. I always get the one of bringing it back to the actual conversation when James takes it off on a tangent. The consummate professional. Um, but so you were talking about mental health and obviously the, considering that the charities now need to be more considerate. What about the candidates that are out there in the market? And as you touched on already, I can appreciate that people might feel that, you know, maybe their career has to take a bit of a, has to go on pause for a couple of years, just while the kind of market resets itself and we get out the other side of this. I can also appreciate that maybe some people are sitting there in roles thinking, oh, you know, I really, I'm, I'm ready for that next role. I'm, I'm ready to take on the next steps, but reluctant to do so. What, what would your advice be for those people that are maybe ready for the next step, but, but nervous about taking it because of the situation? What should they do? Get in touch with Ashby Jenkins Recruitment. That's a great, it's a great agency. It can help you. Um, no, well, yes, obviously do that, but I don't know what I'm saying. No, I, I think we can't allow ourselves to stagnate, right? You, this is this is the new world. We are, we have to constantly be evolving. You know, even at the start of the pandemic, you can't just be looking backwards all the time and waiting for it to go back to normal. COVID mm. will be around like the flu it is now you know it's 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 a difficult situation but I think as with anything if you're a good good fundraiser there will always be jobs for you I think you know don't sit and wait for everything to go back to how it was focus on what you need are you learning in your role anymore are you growing are they pushing you are you happy you know if if not then move because the only thing that's Get, that gets worse is when you stay in somewhere because you feel like you have to or because or you're being driven by fear to stay somewhere you're going to get more and more unhappy your confidence in yourself is going to drop mm. and you're you'll end up in a better worse space and I think I also think the working from her you know a lot of charity professionals are still working from home kind of five days a week four days a week I do think there's a real benefit of being back in the office with your team even socially distanced you know because to deal with you know we're sat in our houses at the moment to deal with a bad meeting or you feature on a podcast and you do a terrible job you know I have to now sit in my safe space and deal with that you know what I mean whereas if I was in the office I could just walk away and be like never mind mm-hmm. um you know, I think that that distinction between work and your home, your sanctuary is is really key. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, just on that point, I was feeling it today. I think, I, as I mentioned at the start of the call, you know, got my wife and my son upstairs with COVID and trying to kind of, you know, they're literally just outside of this room. They're probably desperate for something to eat. So I'll be preparing them some Bombay mix for, for dinner. <laughs> but and I had a meeting earlier and it was just one of those ones where it was like, oh, and I wanted to, to vent. And I was like, I'm at home. I'm, I'm next. And it just, yes, I can completely get that point. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can, and you can't, can get it like, as well. If, if you've had a bad meeting, probably other people in the room have had a bad meeting, but you you don't get to do that kind of seeing that you don't everyone just clicks off and then your own your own little bubble of. But are you are you seeing more of that in roles that are coming up that are they being set up now as more hybrid roles than they were office-based or home-based roles instead yeah is is the sector moving that way on paper as much as it has been kind of fluidly happening if you like yeah I think so like well definitely people are more open and you know like there is massive benefits as well of like you know I think two days a week from home is great you've got that flexibility those days and then three days in the office but we're seeing more and more charities go that way 
the larger organization you get you can't be flexible around all of staff's needs right like someone will want to work from home five days a week someone will want to be in the office five days but I think generally the right the right kind of balance is that that hybrid working mm. um particularly as you said yeah you you come out of a team meeting or a one-to-one and they're sat there and maybe their partner's in the other room so they go into the room and they're like me, 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 you know like oh that's so annoying at work yada yada whereas if they're in an office with you they kind of can do that a little bit but like you can see them work through it physically mm. opposite and there are times sometimes where you're just like okay that was a bit of a tough meeting you all right we all right okay good like we all moving forward you know mm. and you but to do that via teams or to pick up a phone call and make it you know it formalizes it a little bit all too the much. soft stuff yeah you don't get to do any of that do you yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and I always think you know if people are going out to like festivals now where they're literally mixing with like 2,000 people with like very few wash points you can probably sit in an office for three days without catching COVID so. yeah exactly and just want to ask you about one other thing about about salary negotiation because mm. often that's referenced as a reason why people leave charitable organizations I think I've heard it a few times myself over my career is you know I wasn't getting paid enough I didn't want to ask for a, a, a salary increase so I decided to just find another job when actually I know as a kind of as a manager and a, and a leader that's quite often frustrating that the candidate didn't come and actually have that conversation before deciding to go and leave mm. and you know it's almost too late by that point um what would you say to anyone who's maybe kind of frustrated at where their, their salary is maybe thinks that they should be asking for a, a pay rise or a pay increase can you talk about any advice you'd given around that yeah so I think firstly as a fundraiser or a, you know a charity professional generally fundraising is slightly easier you need to know what your ROI is, right? Like what you cost the organization and what you generate. So, you know, if you think of your base salary, national insurance costs, pension or whatever to the organization, you can add that, you can roughly work that out. But if you then know what your ROI is, say you cost your charity 40,000 pounds a year to employ, but you're generating, you're looking after an events portfolio, generating 500,000 or 100,000 or whatever. I think you're you then are in a good position to negotiate because you know what your value is literally people often go into salary negotiations underprepared where they don't do that they might just go in and say oh well I need a salary increase because I want to buy a house or I need a salary increase because I have been here for a year and it's kind of like you need to demonstrate the value to your audience you know you wouldn't go to your donor and say well actually I suppose you would go to them and say we need you to do 100 pounds because we can, need to buy. can you give us some more money <laughs> yeah, you yeah, probably yeah, would. You would. <laughs> that's you a fundraiser right so I guess with with it's going in prepared and to say look here uh, here's what I've done over and above my target or over mm. and above my my performance indicators or whatever you know I've I've delivered more campaigns or whatever therefore I feel like I'm working at a higher level can we discuss a pay rise and I think that's this preparation is key and knowing what your what value you're adding to the business or mm. the, the charity, then asking like, you know, nine times out of 10 people don't ask, as you, you mentioned, you know, they just kind of move on. But I, I mean, I always say to my team, like, I, I'd always rather you ask, I'm not going to tell you yes every time, like, you know, I'd, I'd rather tell you no many times. <laughs> but at least keep asking me and I think you know as a, uh, a head of a director in a charity you can't really say that to t- you can't go to your team like oh make sure you keep asking me for money because you don't want them to do that but people should always ask 
at your annual appraisal or whatever but again going prepared like you've got to put together a pitch as to why you're worth more money mm. okay yeah nice that's scribbling notes there james yeah i'm just i was thinking about <laughs> writing to you later about this uh yeah my remuneration for the do more good podcast it's a bit of an uplift <laughs> um i'm gonna take us in a slightly different direction we often talk to people and it sounds like you do the same that you, you end up in the sector from somewhere else like you haven't spent your entire career working through let's say fundraising roles and maybe after the past 18 months other people have made, been made redundant in other industries that has also been happening are you seeing more people trying to move into the sector same sort of numbers are they still there are we not seeing those people because they're up against like you say kind of 80 qualified candidates for roles and someone outside of the sector isn't going to have that experience are you still seeing that you know, and, you know the, the influx of people coming from other areas yeah, we're not really, actually. I think it's been a gradual decrease since I joined recruitment six years or however many years ago now it is. We used to get people that were coming over from sales quite regularly to try and move into the charity sector. Now we see it much less frequently. But I think I think across all industries, there's not loads of people moving, although there's a lot of recruitment happening. There's not loads of people moving. I think there is a general apathy to moving roles at the moment because mm-hmm. of the instability. But we'd like, I mean, I, I'm always a big advocate for people transferring in, uh, you know, and I think it, in terms of like cognitive diversity, it adds a lot of value when you've had someone that's come from. Oh, you know. but a cognitive diversity. Ooh, cognitive diversity. I'm a big fan. I will, that, that was a fundraiser that actually taught me that. Um, phrase so I won't claim all of I'll be using that in three meetings tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) great if you use it in three meetings you can get all the Bombay mix you like (laughs) but yeah so I think you know getting people in from the commercial sector is a really nice way of of yeah cognitively diversifying your team yeah (laughs) yeah nice Makes sense. So Ashby we'll we'll start to kind of wrap it up I know we've we've kept you long enough on on here um Wanted to just talk a little bit about the future, the future of firstly, in, in terms of recruitment, I mean, as a as a kind of business area, it's obviously one that's had a bit of disruption, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, I guess, you know, the growth in online, obviously more people now having kind of portfolio careers, freelancing, etc. I'm just wondering, as a, as a business owner in this area, how do you see the future of, of recruitment? Oh, <laughs> such big a big, big question. One. Yeah, that is a big question. You, um, I think, I think the like big big agencies are they gone? I think they're going. So I personally <clears throat> like I would never see us as a business getting larger than 12, 12 people. I think small. It's really hard to find great people that are very values driven who genuinely care about what they do. Mm-hmm. And I think I would always rather keep keep smaller so it's it's those relationship based I think one thing I'd hope is that technology improves in recruitment you know I have my own frustrations about our CRM system you know we just did a candidate survey the feedback on our segmentation was not as positive as I had hoped so we are constantly like having to challenge I think one of the things that I want us to do which you know agencies have never done is you you get like these cat those databases that grow to like 50,000 candidates but that's like 10 15 years old and like one thing I want us to do is just be brave enough to say look if we've not heard from you in two years we've not had any interaction you're being deleted from our database because you Mm. obviously don't want to hear from us there's no point us spamming you and we want to keep our database intuitive so I think it's thinking more small scale more bespoke really focusing on 
on like people's experience with you and you know I think also working more in partnership because up until three years when when I started the business most of the recruitment we did was kind of multi-agency now 95% of it is is sole agency where our clients are like well we're going to invest in you like kind of as when we know we you can deliver and as such we have to we go and headhunt more thoroughly you know we really have to dig around for candidates now and I think you know similarly with candidates people will start saying well actually I don't trust other agencies or I don't trust I don't want to register with three other agencies I just want to work with you can you like help me find the role mm. in our sector so in recruitment we're kind of we structure ourselves as like look we know where we want to get to in terms of size and so if we get a CV at a certain point, we'll interview them based on based on the ability of that person and we'll make room for them, you know, if we think they can add value. And I think in fundraising teams, you could probably do something similar. If you target someone financially, you know what their cost is to you as a charity. You can see that return on investment. But I think, yeah, sorry, generally like working in a more bespoke way, so smaller but it is getting that balance right as well, I guess, in a candidate market, mm. candidate short market, or driven. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll see. Um, one final question before we do our we do our quick fire round. You say you're only in recruitment for a year, right? You're only going to do that for one year. Is yes. there anything that you miss from the fundraising, you know, from charity side, or has Ashby Jenkins brought all of that to Ashby Jenkins recruitment? I I mean I miss <laughs> I miss not um. I don't I mean I wish I could not lead a business for a little while like I'd love to just go back and work like we're working with um, a university at the moment and the roles like the major donor roles we're recruiting for sound amazing like I'm like (laughs) oh my god I would love this job like why did I just give up um and go into that I think you know the thing that I miss most about fundraising is I guess the direct that you see the direct benefit of the work that you do right and it's like it's really inspiring you know I used to love going and speaking to businesses about what gosh did about what Naomi House did and you know having knowing that I mean I, I believe in what I sell now absolutely I believe in what we do but knowing it's for like completely good causes you know that you're in some ways doing more good um you know <laughs> yes thank you you can't Uh, regardless of like how well we like do at the moment you know I think that is something really satisfying you wake up and you know that you're adding like adding value and you're helping people and also you know like going okay not that they happen at the moment but what I did volunteer at a couple of like gala dinners and they're always a fun fun one to see like how the other half live and you're like oh wow gosh yeah mind sweeping at the end of the night yeah nicking a good yeah. bag get a good yeah, yeah yeah that's why that's why i didn't work out gosh they were like oh gosh she's on the drink again get her out of there. <laughs> <laughs> where's all the bombay mix gone <laughs> yeah, exactly. she's just like the plates are coming out half empty like I don't, I, honestly i don't actually eat bombay mix that often it was just <laughs> It's just that it's just a gift. It was a it was a very romantic gift of nice. Bombay mix. <laughs> well, well, look, Ashby, thank you so much for for, for your time and for, for sharing that. I think it's really interesting to hear about your approach. I, I think I agree with you in terms of kind of the smaller is better, having more partnership driven, kind of the relationship led. I love the fact that charities and yourselves are considering people's mental health in the recruitment process. I think that's something that that's 
for me personally, maybe I just haven't seen it quite quickly forgotten. Like we had all this mental health was really prominent and we did some fantastic interviews on the podcast. And then it just seems to have gone away again recently and it's not high on the agenda, but we, we need to continue talking about it. So, yeah, thank you for, for, for sharing that. But we're not going to let you go straight away. We've got some quick fire questions that we'll pop on with. James, you want to go first? Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> if you could transport back in time and meet your 20 year old self, what piece of advice would you give and why? I would say be more be more patient and listen more just because I think with you could like you can always learn more from other people and I think when you're that age you really you're like hungry and you want to make everything happen now or you're worried you're not good enough at that point so I think I would just be like be patient like relax listen more to others don't feel like you have to fight for everything Awesome. Nice. Yeah. Sound advice. Um, can you tell us about one life hack or a productivity tool, a habit or a skill other than gin that you've taught yourself recently that you think everybody needs to know about? Wow. <laughs> recently. Um, gosh, what, do, what have I done to be more efficient in my life? I mean, I've taught myself how to play the tiny the tiniest bit of piano where it's just the bit that you go that bit I've taught myself that bit which I am quite proud of but not useful for anyone else I I touch typing there you go so I've streamlined my touch typing so there's like tests you can do online it's very geeky yes I do it on my Friday and Saturday evenings where like I just I like touched I've just practiced and enhanced my touch typing speed so now I can make notes really quickly when I'm in meetings. And wow. That's, that's, a, that's a great skill. Words yeah, per minute? What? Because what, that's the measure, 62. isn't it? 62. 62. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Look, I will I will say, like, that was, I was coming from a ground base of, I could do basic, but now I've, like, really been going, I've really been going on for yeah. it. Not, not just not just the one finger. Not just, <laughs> no, sorry, no. I'm literally doing my hands. Multi-finger. So fast, I can type as well. <laughs> yeah. I type so fast. They're just blurring, blurring on your camera. That's and um, you said that the piano isn't might not be used. I think that's a key skill. Like there is going to be a moment in your life when you're in uh, King's Cross Station and there's a piano and someone says, I bet you can't play anything on that. And you do. That's that my is gonna, dream. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah, that is my dream actually. Are you gonna? Will you? You'll probably include that bit of me singing the do 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 do. Yeah, yeah, great. That's our new intro jingle. Oh my god! I would literally. Can I do? Can I actually use the piano? Anyway, moving on quite quickly. Yes, you can. Yes. One final question for you before you head off to play the ivories for us. As a podcast that is focused around people doing more good, what is your favourite story? or inspiring individual you have met on your journey who has done something good for others? These are such big questions. Who have I met that? I mean, I meet fundraisers all the time. It's tough. It's tough. Or maybe recently, someone in the past, you know, week or so. It is a difficult one. It is a difficult one. So I guess so like so so someone someone that I find quite inspiring is one of my friends who basically had a really 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 tough childhood like domestic violence like uh, abuse all of all of that and they have managed to come through at a young age so they're like 25 now 
they've like worked their way through it they like grew up in a really tough council state in southeast London and they've never let it hold them back and they've also never pretended to be anything that they're not and I think that is really admirable because my so I grew up in a council house I'm, I'm working class but my mum taught me to speak poshly because she thought it would get me further in life which it, it absolutely has and I think I find him really inspiring because he is so he just is himself completely and he's worked really hard he did an apprenticeship scheme you know he's got himself into a good job now and he's like worked to not carry on any of the like burden of the past and I think when you come from such a difficult background to to make it through to that that I really admire and I have learned a lot about accepting I guess and being a more authentic version of myself through through that person so I guess that's that's someone that I would nice. say inspires me yeah. nice that's a nice one nice one to wrap it up on there well look Ashby thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it if anyone wants to find you or reach out or well obviously with the, they can google your name and find your website but are you on any social media or anything like that at all yeah so we're on um we're on the gram uh i get my team to do that because i don't i don't know how to do it which is very embarrassing so yeah it's just ashby jenkins recruitment uh we've got a linkedin page we're all on linkedin as well and then we've got like our email address is info at ashbyjenkinsrecruitment.co.uk so if you're looking for jobs you can reach out and i will help you find something find something to make your dreams come true you can pretend you want to propose to your girlfriend and then never actually do it <laughs> all right perfect and um just before we wrap up james i just wanted to mention we've got the resource alliance event coming up that we've been very kindly invited to host, which is on the 27th of October. So it's a fireside chat around innovation in digital fundraising with Salesforce as the sponsor. So that should be quite interesting. Any final thoughts, James? No, I, I would I would agree with you. That should, uh, and it's an event with um, much cognitive diversity. So we're Absolutely. all looking forward to that at DMG HQ. Yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you, Ashby. Cheers, James. We'll see you soon. See ya. Take care. Bye. Bye. Right. I can only do a little. Oh, I'm going to mess it up now. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Take two. Ready? Oh, my God. Right. What? Sorry. I overhyped my. <laughs> wait. One more, one more time. I feel because I'm very nervous now. Where I go? Ready? Just before we go, can we ask a favour? If you've enjoyed this episode, and you've made it this far after all, and you want to help us reach more people and attract more guests, then we'd love a review on iTunes. Alternatively, if you haven't got anything nice to say, then say it in an email. Get in touch at contact at domoregood.uk and let us know how we can improve the show. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another story of someone doing more good. Ta-da!